are listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. This episode of the Traditional Outdoors Podcast is brought to you by St. Joe River Bows. If you're looking for a custom longbow or recurve, then St. Joe River Bows has you covered. St. Joe's is a family-owned company that specializes in traditional bows for the entire family. Plus their forward handle design, powerful limbs, and unique wood and color combinations make St. Joe's the perfect choice for the budding or experienced archer or bow hunter. Tracy offers bow options for all members of the family from the youngest to the oldest, and they even offer a trade-in program on all youth bows so that as the little ones outgrow their bow, they can trade them in and use that towards the purchase of a bow that better fits their growing needs. And for listeners of the Traditional Outdoors podcast, David and Tracy are going to include a St. Joe River Bows t-shirt with any new bow purchased. Just mention that you heard about them while listening to this podcast. So when you're ready for a new bow, be sure to check out their website at stjoeriverbows.com or give Tracy a call at 517-617-3658 and be sure to tell them Traditional Outdoors sent you. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Traditional Outdoors podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Steve Angel. I'm joined tonight by my good friend, Mr. Nick View. And before we get into the podcast, I know this is not going to air for a few weeks after the fact, but I just have to say the myself and the traditional archery, traditional bow hunting community really received a pretty tough blow today. Um, Mr. David Hewitt, who was vice president of Compton's Traditional Bow Hunters and actually was, was running, and I can almost guarantee you was going to be elected as the president of Compton Compton's traditional bow hunters uh, passed away today from what I understand uh, he was he was killed in an auto accident and um, my good friend Tom Jurgensen who co-hosts on here from time to time he called me today and and kind of told me the news and then right after that it started really just blowing up on Facebook so really somewhat of a, a, a somber moment I'm, I've gotten to know David really well over the last few years and he's going to be He's going to be greatly, greatly missed in the community. I was really looking forward to to seeing him in a few months. Uh, Nick and I are planning on heading up to the rendezvous in uh, June, and and was really looking forward to seeing David. And, and now that's a kind of a chapter that that's going to be closed. Um, so anyway, just a, a a really really sad event today. Um, and Nick, I know that uh, you've kind of gotten to know David pretty good yourself, right? Oh, absolutely. The guy. Um just you know, I have a res- I have a lot of respect for anybody who sits on a board, having served at the, with the MLA for a while, and you know, right. David is he just he was always around. He was Johnny on the spot, hustling around everywhere. Never didn't have the time to say hello or genuinely want to know how you were doing, or if he could do anything for you, or how your time was, and. I just had tremendous respect for the guy. He just, you talk about, um, I posted today about it, but you talk about having a, people talk about a servant's heart and Dave just embodied that just through and through. And I, I only knew him a couple of years. Um, and, but man, every time I walked by him, he called me out and, Hey Nick, how you doing? You know, I mean, he just, just fantastic guy. And I wish I could have known him better and I'm going to miss him. Well, I tell you, I won't go into details, but, you know, the last conversation I had with David was was on social media. 
Um, and it was not, I mean, it wasn't, a, it was, it wasn't nasty, but it wasn't the most cheerful of conversations. Um, you know, we, we, we ended that chat on a, on a positive note and I was telling Tom today, man, I really wished it, you know, we the last conversation we'd had had been around something else. So this just shows, you know, you, you can't take anything for granted. You, you, you know, you, you should treat every interaction you have with people as though it could potentially be your last, if at all possible. Because uh, you just never know when things like this are going to to come up. But anyway, so you know, everyone keep uh, keep David's family in your in your thoughts and prayers, and and uh, you know, I'm sure I'm sure there's going to be someone to step up and, and fill his shoes. But uh, you'll be missed, David. So with that, we'll we'll kind of put that behind us and and put our put our happy faces on. We've got a we've got a great guest with us tonight um i'll be honest i've i've, I've kind of wanted to get this gentleman on for a while and we just we, we've been so busy and trying to you know keep guests lined up but i know this individual is kind of special to both uh me and you nick from a from a perspective of how we got to know him but joining us tonight mr jay campbell um nick and i both pretty much got to know you through a a book you published a few years ago called Longbow, and I'm sure we're going to get into that. But with all that being said, how's it going this evening, Jay? A great pleasure, fellows. I, I appreciate it much. Karen Campbell and I here are both very saddened by the news of Mr. Hewitt's passing, and we want to send our prayers out to his family as well. But uh, um, we are also very happy to be here with you um, and and uh, talk about uh, all there is to talk about in terms of uh, of the history of how one gets out into uh, the woods and nature with uh, uh, the traditional gear and and just what our journey has been. Well, I tell you what, Jay, I, I, I've known David long enough to know nothing would make him happier for for than for us to turn this into a uh, a, a fun time for everybody listening, get a few laughs out, and and share a few stories. That was just kind of the kind of the way the guy was, you know. Perfect. So, Jay, um, you know, like I said, Nick and I both learned about you through your book, uh, Longbow, and I, I'm pretty sure most of the traditional bow hunters that will be listening to this have, have heard of that book. But, you know, if, for those that might not, you know, maybe give us a, just a little bit of background on the book and, and, and sort of what your inspiration was for, for putting it together, because I'll be honest, I think it's a... Uh, I think it's a, pa- a paperback masterpiece. How about that? Well, I appreciate that. I, I, I'm not <laughs> sure I've heard it called that before, but uh, I just I just made that up off the cuff. All right, yeah, that was good, man. If, if we ever do a reprint, <laughs> I'll put that right on the cover. <laughs> Steve, with a quote for Steve from Steve Steve Angel. <laughs> I will. We, um, you know, I, I have been uh, bow hunting with a, 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 a longbow since I was probably six years old. And uh, I'm 66 now, and uh, uh, Karen, who's uh, here with me, we're actually recording this from the Bahamas, where we've escaped to. Uh, you know, is is uh, 56, and we've um, we've uh, spent a lot of time traveling the world with a uh, bow in hand and um, hunting big game and small game, and uh, mostly just being out in the great outdoors. Um, but uh, I started writing. Um, for uh, uh, Bowhunter Magazine and Dwight Shue uh, and uh, uh, traditional Bowhunter Magazine and Don Thomas and uh, T.J. Conrad's uh, great friends and uh, spending time with pro- <coughs> professional uh, Bowhunter. 
uh, with Gene and Barry Wenzel and, and the folks there. And then, of course, uh, kind of segued into uh, Compton's, which we had less uh, interaction with because we had basically uh, uh, had a huge life change uh, uh, of our own. But uh, in those many years of, uh, of writing articles for uh, archery magazines and, and mostly traditional archery magazines, um, was this sense of trying to get out to uh, people about what it was to, uh, as most of the folks listening here, uh, what it was to, to, to get out on your own. Um, you know, for me, what it was to get out on my own and, uh, and uh, figure out how to build and create uh, rafts that could be um, uh, taken down and put on an airplane back in the day when you could do something like that and take them up to... Uh, Way north Alaska and uh, and solo raft um, times like that when I met uh, folks like uh, and spent time with folks like Jay Massey and uh, Doug Borland and and I'm not trying to name drop but I'm saying you know there are heroes and I'm not one of them but there's heroes out there uh, that I hold dear and uh, and when I got to meet them and wanted to write about it and put it down and let people know what it was like for me so I guess I hope that answers the question. Absolutely, it does. Yep, and that was one of the things that drew me to your book to begin with. Um, was your book actually showed me that you don't need to be one of those people to write about your experiences, and it had a huge impact on me in that way. It actually changed my writing totally because I didn't think anything that I was doing was good enough to write about. So it really, it, it, it taught me to, to look at it, every experience differently and as long as I could make people feel something by reading it or make them engage with traditional bow hunting, then that was fine. That was worth writing. So, uh, you know, that's a, a long-winded compliment. <laughs> to a long-winded writer (laughs) (laughs) but that's that was what was so refreshing about it because before that book i had read you know i'd read everything i get my hands on i just absorbed it like a sponge and in in the traditional bow hunting world that was the outdoor writing i knew of and you know from bows in the little delta longbows of the far north hunting the hard way like all anything i could find and that was the first one where i read it and i was like yeah yeah, I could do that. I could do this. You know, I've got stories. And yeah, so, I mean, that really launched me. And I I mean, I don't know what, but I got to thank you for that because it was, it was huge. And I can, I can actually give you an even bigger compliment than what Nick did. Listen to this guy. So, well, (laughs) but, but, but it's tied back to you. So, you know, Nick and I both have been, well, I've been probably writing a little less, uh, less time than Nick, but, even today, a lot of times if I write something I'm submitting to a, a newsletter like Compton's or, or Stick Talk for MLA, I'll send it to Nick to have him review it for me and, and make recommendations. And I can't tell you how many times he has responded to me with, you know, one thing I'll tell you is you, you, you've really got to own your words. That's, that's something that, that Jay Campbell told me years ago. And, and you know, it, it really makes a difference. And, I, I, I wish I could tell you how many times he's actually told me that, and he always makes sure to reference your name when he says it. But uh, <laughs> it is a different way to look at writing that that I have a hard time doing. I'm more of a 
I'm more of a storyteller in the in the perspective of when I write, I tend to write as I'm I'm living the reliving the moment on paper, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And it a lot of times it comes off more of a I don't know how to relate it. I would almost say it's almost like a, a Mark Twain style story in that I'm telling it from a, a very specific perspective. And a lot of times I get lost in the intents and so forth. But I have a hard time really commanding and owning those words, even though I know what what you're talking about, what what Nick's talking about. So, And, and I, I do understand and I do appreciate it very much. The, the, the thank you, the compliments. Um, I, I uh, if anything, <clears throat> excuse me for uh, clearing my throat, you know, I, I felt that I sought out folks um, that really could write and tell a story and touch me in my heart. And uh, Don Thomas was one and Jay Massey was one in particular that I, I you know, bugged the ever-loving heck out of and chased down and found a way to get on hunts uh, uh, and to travel and go on adventures with those fellows. Um, and I, I think somewhere in my book, I probably said that the first time I met um, uh, Jay Massey, I went to Alaska and, and uh, went on, uh, on his, his uh, special hunt up there, you know, and we talked about riding and he pretty much said, don't quit your day job. Uh, you know, he, <laughs> <laughs> the truth. he had, uh, he had, you know, read, uh, cry been publishing for some time, but you know, then I realized that the bar was a whole lot higher than, than, than I realized. And, um, that the sense of following, you know, great artists, as you said, like Mark Twain, um, I, I often commend people to go and read, um, um, Caesar's. Uh, six books, uh, who I believe was just a tremendous writer, and it amazes me that that those uh, uh, books um, exist uh, still t- still today to be read and and are so clean and spare. Hemingway, of course, a hero of mine. But you know, when we started going into the idea of what it is to convey traditional archery and the adventure of the woods with a bow in hand, a stick bow in hand, you know, then that was Don Thomas and that was Jay Massey in particular. Um, folks that I that I just held up uh, not only as as persons um, who were heroes, but also writers um, who could convey so much with so little, and that's the way I would say it. I think as Hemingway probably did is is how do you put the spaces around words to convey emotion with so much with so little? And you know, it's it's funny you mentioned that Jay because I remember so one of the first. I, I really wanted to get an article in a TBM, and that was my goal. I had been blogging for a while, and I, I really wanted to do that. And I wrote a book, or I wrote a story called The Magic of Juniper Junction. And for some reason, I don't know why, I think I had read something in your book and I reached out to you, but I sent it to you, and you said you'd take a look at it for me. And you literally tore up the first three sentences <laughs> so bad. To the point where I was like, and you're like, hey, and then you sent me Don's submission guidelines and you were like, hey, you you know, this is good, but you got to, before I get into it, I really want you to take a look at this. And I did. And I studied it and I totally, I obsessed about it and reworked it and sent it back to you. And then I sent it to Don. And, um, but I remember you telling me, one of the things you told me was, you know, at some point, it sounds like you've read a lot of traditional bow hunting books and there's a lot of bow hunters out there that write but there's not a lot of 
literature out there on the subject. And you said, I really encourage you to go check out like Hemingway. I'd read some Hemingway in college, but you said, check, go check out some stuff that's outside the realm of bow hunting, like wilderness journals, some of those other things like that, like some, so those magazines and some of the other literature out there. And I, I did. And that kind of like, it opened everything up. Like when you start reading literature, everything changes and it actually, you know, made me grow even further and actually grow into the outdoors too. Cause other things started to seem interesting, um, to me that wouldn't have been before. Um, but you're absolutely right. Like it's, it's, it's funny how you're, you operate in one space for so long. And then all of a sudden, like you step outside that space and say, you're not reading traditional bow hunter stories anymore. And you're like, wow, there is some amazing work out there. And it was humbling at first. Cause I was like, I can't even fathom this level of talent. Um, but yeah, again, another tangent, but it kind of comes off to the side. Uh, to the you know that just a couple of emails you sent me kind of set everything up and and, and it happens a lot and and, and i apologize <laughs> i guess no that but, was uh, great you don't need to apologize for that <laughs> very very often you know people will will seek me out and folks who are now writing and and doing great jobs on their own ha- have in the past and i say be careful what you wish for because this isn't going to be pleasant you know, um, <laughs> I think that's what you said to me exactly. <laughs> I know it is exactly what I say because I say, you know, I'm I'm not um, I, I I like you and I'll be your friend, but I'm not going to be um, a fun guy if you're really asking me to tell you what I think is right or wrong with your writing. But I'll tell you that that's also what um, and I, I know I keep saying this, but Don Thomas and Jay Massey did with me, um, you know, to to say that well, no, this is just terrible. You know, and <laughs> you feel crushed. And it's like, wow, I, I thought that was great. I mean, they paid me for that article, you know, and they say, yeah, people pay folks for lots of stuff. But, you know, what and, and here's the thing is, what are we trying to do? You're not trying to be all high and mighty and puffed up and everything. What you're trying to do is is you're trying to find a way to reach people's hearts with what really reaches your heart. And, and to communicate in a way with not a whole lot of fluff and extra stuck in. And it takes work. You know, as a songwriter, it takes work. Or as, uh, and again, a Hemingway is a huge uh, uh, hero of mine when it comes to writing. Maybe not his lifestyle, but writing. And, um, you know, it, it, it cannot be something that you just set down with paper and pen and do without a whole lot of mistakes, without tremendous failure, without crushing blows to your ego from people who really know what they're doing and are willing to take the time. And there's the hard part, is finding somebody who is willing to take the time to tell you just how bad you are. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, it's funny. You're sitting here telling this jay and i i think about my my daughter who uh is graduating high school uh and i have to brag a little bit she got her so she applied and i was wrong nick it was 12 not 14 she applied to 12 colleges uh, everything from uh uga to clemson to some you know some smaller schools uh liberal arts schools and she got her final acceptance today she was accepted to 12 of 12 that she applied for so i'm very proud of her but she is a huge um, uh, 
book nerd. She just she loves to read. She actually is a great writer. Uh, she writes for uh, school newspaper and so forth. But where I'm going with this, we we have carried her to a couple of book festivals over the last few years. And last summer we were at a, a book festival, and this author who had just been published her her first first book. And obviously, a lot of the people that are in the audience are asking, you know, you know, how did this come about, and how many times were you rejected before you got a publisher, and all. That. And she reached one one person asked that question, you know, how how many times did you was your writing rejected before you know a publisher accepted it? And she reached around in a bag and pulled out. Um, it looked like a, I think it was a rolling pin that she had. Uh, all of her, she had basically taken all of her rejection letters that she had gotten and she had taped them together. And I forget now how long she said it was, but if she had stretched this thing out, it was hundreds of feet long um, wow. from rejection letters that she got before she was accepted. So, you know, I guess the moral behind all this, if you really want to write, you just, you've got to be willing to take those lumps and, and try to learn from them and, and get better. Uh, but that was a very, uh, odd inspiration to see that that somebody really stuck with it that long despite all the rejections because it was something they wanted to do that much well i i completely agree and i i i believe i never counted them but i i was probably rejected five six hundred times um and it seems like a lot but i was trying hard at <laughs> just not being very successful and you know i saw a thing the other day with bradley cooper everybody knows bradley cooper now right because mm -hmm. uh he he just did this uh, shallow movie with lady gaga and he actually sang he's not a singer and he directed it um and he he wasn't a director before but he was telling a story about having auditioned for spike lee who is a famous director whether you know him or not and and um and they had met and they were telling that story and spike lee asked me he said how many times did you audition before you got a part and he said over a thousand you know and and the guy now is is still a young man but he's on his way to being a tremendous multi-talented fellow who can do a lot in communication so we're talking about how do you how do you tell your heart right not how you sell your heart how do you tell your heart and reach a heart of somebody else, and and that's how I look at it. And it's it's not easy, and it doesn't come simple. But with real hard work, you begin to understand how other people that that reached your heart learned and and determined how to how to do all that. Um, and and it's it's uh, very hard to be rejected. I do understand folks will send me something and I, I, I rarely do the whole piece. I'll send back the first paragraph and just say, are you sure you <laughs> want to do this? Because, <laughs> you know, here, here's 30 things in the first 20, you know, 10 sentences um, that you want to think about. And, and uh, I, I, I don't worry too much, I guess. I think I'm doing the right thing and I'm not all that, believe me. I am, uh, I am a has-been and uh, retired and moved off and left the whole world behind to go to the Bahamas and live a whole different life now. But, uh, but I, did, I, I did write quite a bit uh, as we uh, set out to do our book and all those articles and those things. But, you know, all of that is right behind, right? All of telling your story is behind having a story. So you, you, you can't go out to do something just to write about it. You go out to do something because it means something to you. 
you know, and whatever that might be, it's you and the animal, you and the woods, you and the wilderness, you and the river, you and the raft, you and the snow and the ice and the almost death and whatever it might be. And then you get to sit down and go, wow, how do I, how do I carve that into <laughs> something hard like a diamond and put it out there and tell my heart? That brings up a very good point into... I think I actually already know this question, but I'm going to throw it out there just for the sake of, of anyone listening that has either read the book or maybe is thinking now about reading the book. But So all of the different stories in Longbow, first, first question is a simple yes or no. Are all of those stories based on factual um, occurrences, things that you experience? Oh, everything in Longbow is a true story with the exception, I believe. You guys know my book better than I do, I think, at this point. <laughs> <laughs> but I believe with the with the exception of Blackwater, which is a novel, and I think I put in as the last chapter of the book as a novel, which is based mm-hmm. on my experiences, but is not entirely true. Um, everything else is just as it truly happened. There is no fiction in what I wrote. It's a story about what we did. And and I, I, like I said, I was I was pretty confident that was the case. The second part of that question was. Were, were any of the names changed to protect the innocent or the not-so-innocent? <laughs> I changed names in Blackwater because some of those events were actually true, and I, 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 I didn't want to get sued. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there, there's the attorney. Yeah, and, I, and I, that is true. I am an attorney. Um, not a good one, but I am an attorney. Um, but no, I, I believe um, all of the stories um, uh, <laughs> named, um, you know, the folks who are with us and uh, we spent time with. And um, no, I don't believe I did in Blackwater. I changed names in there. I don't believe anywhere else I did. So I think uh, Nick and I both have at least one uh story that we're that we're pretty fond of so we're, we're probably gonna pull on your memory a little bit here but <laughs> good luck um uh i don't know nick you know what i've been talking a little bit i'm gonna let you i'm gonna let you jump in first okay well i'll this one might surprise you jay okay um, but this was the one that actually turned it all around for me but it's the closet oh dear no that's um wow that was a, a real reach back into my childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, what I, I try to do when people ask me, what do you write about? I said, write about what's real and what hurts and what might help or mean something to somebody else. Um, and so while a lot of what I did was contemporaneous, right? It was um, here last year, you know, uh, a few months ago, we... Uh, did whatever we did. We went to Australia, Alaska, Hawaii, whatever. Um, the closet was was reaching back to um, something that dealt with a, something that was very um, emotional for me, which was my father, um, and uh, things that happened when I was uh, very young, if I'm remembering right, uh, about 10, 11 years old, related to uh, responsibility and ownership and consequences of what happens, um, you know, and, and, and uh, how difficult it can be, uh, you know, to remember those things back, particularly after, in, in my case, my father uh, had passed. At least if I'm remembering the right story. 
I don't have the book in front of me. You know, absolutely. And I hate to I hate to talk about it too much because, well, and if you haven't read it yet, you guys, shame on you. Go out and buy it and <laughs> read it. <laughs> but it um, it was the only book or the only story in the book from what I remember that really had nothing directly to do with bow hunting. Right. It was, it was about, like you said, it was, it was about a BB gun that you had yep. and there was so, and it wasn't even that long and, uh, it was so much in it. And I remember, you know, the other, the other story kind of reminds me of is the old man and the boy. For those of you who, who've read that one, that's, you know, another, a famous work and, but there's just. There and I can't even remember. Jeez, I can't even remember who wrote that. Somebody, somebody help me out, Steve. You know what I'm talking about? I think I do, but I'm I, I'm not a hundred percent. All right, I'll I'll just circle back to that later. But um, yeah, it, there was just so much to that story. There was so much depth there, you know. The but yeah, that that loss, the relationship, everything. It's just, and that's that's what really got me thinking. Like, wow, like. Everybody's got, I always say this, but everybody's always got an A and a C in a hunting story. And everybody goes out and, you know, I remember when I used to write, just when I started, I would just, I would have four days worth of hunting and I would write about every single day like I was journaling and I would then try to turn it into a story. And I had to learn to find the stories, the things that mattered in those days. And most of the time when I do that now, they've got nothing to do with you know, the actual hunting aspect of it, because the hunting aspect of it, everybody knows, but what's personal to you is what happened in that time, whether it's a relationship or whatever. And you managed to pack so much in that one non bow hunting related story and that whole book full of bow hunting stories. And I was just like, wow, that's weird that he put that in there, but man, it makes sense. Um, well, you know, it was, um, of course, uh, uh, my father and I uh, uh, had a difficult relationship and, until perhaps much later in life and perhaps uh, uh, in, until near his death. And when I was um, young, we lived on a farm, and that story relates um, uh, contemporaneously relates, you know, I, 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 I truly <laughs> did. Uh, open up uh, um, a closet and find um, an old, uh, uh, I think it was a 22, a Remington Nylon 66, but regardless, it was a gun. And it had been in a case for many, many years. And it was a surprise to me. It was a shock to me because what had happened was, and I was uh, ashamed in writing that story of how to relate it, but I had accidentally shot and killed a family cat. Um, thinking that I was uh, shooting uh, a, a woodchuck for a, a bounty that my father gave. And it, and it destroyed me. It just destroyed me. And, you know, it destroyed my father, I believe, too. And, you know, he, he as I came in crying and holding that cat and covered it, you know, with, with blood and, you know, mess and this and that and my gun in my hand, the father took that gun out of my hand and threw it. Uh, across the yard and said, we'll throw that away. And, and he took me in and he was kind. And, and that was the last I saw of it for many, many years. And then it was in the back of this closet after he passed. Um, you know, and actually right now I, I have now my, my youngest boy has that Remington. It doesn't shoot worth a damn. 
um, you know, but uh, I, I still have it. And, and, and the emotion, right? Yeah, it's just uh, so powerful. Well, and you know, so I will I will tell you a little side story, Nick. I'm sitting here trying to remember because you're you're talking about the old man and the boy, and I'm wondering if the and you can probably tell me if what I'm remembering is part of that book or not. Because um, I can't remember if it was from a book that I read or from an article that I read in a magazine like Field and Stream or something. But well, well it's Robert Rourke. Yeah, it's Robert as, Rourke. Well, as I was reading that story in your book, Jay the story that came flashing back to my mind was a story about, and I can't remember all the details, but it was a, it was an, an elderly gentleman. This young boy had um, a, a desire to, to go hunting. And this, this old man had a, and I want to say it was a, a 22. It was a, I think it was a rifle, but anyway, I can't remember if he, if he snuck the gun out without permission or if the, the older man let him take it out to try to shoot a snowshoe hare. And basically where the story goes is the boy spots this patch of white and he's, he's sneaking around and he finally gets a shot and he, he, he shoots. And when he goes over, he finds that he's actually shot the man in the head. Um, and it was, and I don't know why those two stories you know, brought that, or your story brought that back out. But as I was reading it, I almost knew where it was going and had this foreshadowing from a story that I'd read many years ago. So, you know, it's really kind of funny how reading certain things will just bring back memories that you'd completely forgotten about. I can't remember where I read that. I don't even remember if it was a, a, a magazine or a book, but I, I definitely remembered reading that story and, and, how you know just kind of sick to my stomach i felt as i read it and then you know i kind of got that same feeling from reading yours knowing what that how it might i mean it, it had to just been a horrible feeling but and, and it was and and what we want what i want to do what i think people want to do when they when they tell their heart when they they show other people how they came up how they grew how they learned uh, the pain that's there sometimes when, when you do things you're not proud of and you're ashamed of, whether they're accidents or not, isn't really the issue. It's just that how do you let people know who's gone before and what path they walked and that it's okay? That it's okay. Pretty deep, pretty deep stuff yeah, pretty there. Deep. <laughs> I know it's kind of hard to segue. And I got to, I got to, Steve, I want you to get to yours in just a second, but um, on that note, I did want to say that in contrast to that, my second favorite chapter in that book is Jukebox. <laughs> Jukebox actually made it to, um, to a Gray's uh, Sporting Journal. Um, and, uh, and, and that's, that's when I pretty much said, I'm done. <laughs> I can't do any better than Gray's, <laughs> you know. Um, Grace took a, took a piece of mine and, uh, I, I was a happy camper, but yeah, ju- jukebox is true actually in virtually every word and action, as much as it sounds like a terrible fantasy, it's not. Um, although it might've been colored through the imagination of my friends and I, uh, as we were chasing this legendary bird, but it was, I, I agree, much more whimsical and, uh, and and something that was more like in legend than uh, my own personal. Although jukebox was my personal story, I failed miserably in bringing down that big old bird. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, but what I, and I really like about that story, though, is that you captured like I, I when I was a kid, I would always when I was old enough to the point where I was going to junior, you know, I was in junior high. My dad was a tailor and worked downtown near the junior high. And I used to go in with him to breakfast. And there was a place called Kretschmann's Coffee House Cafe. And they had the best donuts and coffee in town. So I'd go, my dad would sit in there every morning. And I mean, I learned how to be a man in that coffee shop. I mean, everybody talking and having stories and, you know, just the vernacular and the tall tales and everything. And what that, that jukebox did was it just, you painted the scene perfectly of a bunch of people spreading the yarn and the tall tales about this bird, this mythical bird. And, you know, if you hang around an archery range long enough or a campfire or a coffee shop, you hear that stuff. And it just brought me to that every single time, which is a very warm feeling. It's just a fun part of hunting that not everybody talks about. It was a it was a great um, experience for me um, and a great story to write um, that Karen, uh, my wife and I, um, uh, joined uh, a group of uh, a very small group of folks, about fourteen people, hunting on twenty thousand acres in the Everglades, and um, you know, jukebox was long before we got there a legend, and uh, long beha- lo- long beyond, as I say in the article, the lifespan of any turkey. Um, but uh, uh, what I enjoyed was less the issue of talking about jukebox and me, which did occur, but it was, it was uh, the issue of my friends and, and the joy and the stories and the campfire um, and, and the sense that this is, in fact, all real. And every day when you wake before dawn and you head out to the woods, uh, the possibility of seeing the infinite, right, jukebox, that legend that can't possibly be real was always there. And then, in fact, because you asked me, is that actually true? It is. Yeah, there he was. And uh, as, as we all say when we start a good tale, right? There I was. <laughs> <laughs> so, Steve, what's yours? I think you got a good one, too. Well, and here's so here's what's funny. Um you know, I think most of us, when we read, especially if we're reading, you know, books about hunting, books about, you know, fly fishing, whatever it may be, if it's something that we are passionate about as well, we're typically going to find that one story that we can relate to for one reason or another. And that, I think that in many cases becomes our favorite. Now, here's what I'll tell you before I tell you what my, my favorite is in the book right now is it wasn't always my favorite. Um, I think when I, the first time I read the book, I would have to go, um, with, with Nick's choice for the closet was the one that I, I just really liked most. But in later years, an experience that I had, and we've always, we've all had these experiences with, with these certain hunters, but in my case, it was actually (laughs) Nick. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've never told this story on, on the podcast. So part of this is going to come out tonight, but so finding will became, has become my favorite. Um, and, you know, before I go into my little story there, I'll let you just kind of give, give everyone a, what you remember about finding Will and what that, what that little story is about. Well, you'll, you remember, I have not actually read my book in probably, <laughs> wow, uh, six, seven years. And um, so you're, I'm, I'm not ashamed to say I don't remember every story. So 
clue me in because the title uh, uh, makes me think that that was one of my good ones. <laughs> it, it, so Finding Will is uh, uh, basically it's a, a hog hunt set in Georgia. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, without I don't want to give away too many details, but let's just leave it as everybody arrived back at camp um, and one individual didn't show up. Oh, OK, thanks. I got it. <clears throat> and it was in the middle of an ice storm All true. in Georgia Swamp, which is pretty unique in itself. It, it was, and every little bit of that story is true, and, and, and all the desperate unhappiness because we, <laughs> oh my goodness, and, and, and it's true. The ice storms, I, I spent a great part of my life in Florida, Georgia, and uh this kind of weather just didn't exist. And people like me don't get invited to hunts like that. I made it pretty clear in that story. But uh, they had an opening and they needed somebody. So I ended up being the last person not to say no. And, um, you know, and yeah, the, the story, I guess there's a way to say that story is about people of privilege who maybe don't see the whole world the same way I did. And um, and ended up getting himself desperately lost in the swamp on a hog hunt in the middle of the night. And all of us, every one of us out. And that was uh, Dean Torgis was there, um, who has passed uh, uh, a few years well, ago. Yeah, I'll say that's a that's a definitely a name to drop. Well, Dean, you know, I, I still sit here somewhere in, in, in at my boy's house in Georgia. I have, I think, three Dean Torgis bows he made for me. And uh, and I cherish uh, all the times we spent um, out, out of field. Um, but this was one on that particular place, a, a very private place in Georgia. And uh, and a fellow who just... Uh, kept us up all night searching for him and just being absolutely sure he was he was passed and dead and uh yeah and when we found him he didn't give a whip about what we'd done or how much work or how much heartache or how cold we were or wet we were or that we called the sheriff and we had the police involved and we were looking for them uh, helicopters that can do the heat seeking floor <laughs> and all that stuff. And, you know, he just didn't care because he was it, Will. <laughs> it, well, and, and so that, that to me is part of this. And then I'll tell you, I'll mm-hmm. tell you mine and Nick's little funny story. Um, the fact that, so Will had actually shot three pigs. Yep, he did. If I remember correctly, he got lost trying to find yep. the third pig. Yep. And by the time you guys found him, he managed to build a shelter and start a fire. He did. He was fine. We were were freezing our hands off in that swamp. And he was just fine. He had gotten himself some, you know, pine lighter and lit it up with his uh, cigar, uh, you know, lighter and, and made a fire and he was sitting under the palmettos and the snow wasn't hurting him. And he had his big coat on and, and we were literally, <laughs> I had been walking in ice water up to my chest through this swamp after we found one and then two and then the third pig, which is itself a whole nother issue with a special mark of the kind of broadhead he was using. There was only like four of us there. So it was him. And 
Oh my goodness. And, and I do remember that one scene in there that, that, uh, was powerful for me is when the one fella who was sure he was dead and what felt he was his best friend dropped to his knees and just wept in the rain with the ice and the rain pouring over his face. And Will just didn't give a rip. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) So let me tell let me tell you a story about another fella like Will. (laughs) Yeah, I'm waiting to hear how much Nick is like Will. So you, you've you've probably heard of Cumberland Island, George. Mm-hmm. I have. So um, Nick and I, and another friend of ours, I had hunted the island once before, but we hunted that. What's that been now, Nick? Three, four, yeah, years, three years ago, like four, I think. Yeah, we we we. So we had we had put a, our, our our name in, gotten draw, which you always get drawn for the archery hunt, mm-hmm. um, and we head down to this island now. There's a lot that can be told about this. We arrived right on the backside of uh, Hurricane Joaquin. So uh, the weather was just horrible the whole week. We're on, a, we're on a, an island that's completely um, uh, completely surrounded by water, a huge river on one side and, and the Atlantic Ocean on the other. It's 17 miles long and four miles wide. And... It's different. Well, anybody that's hunted in swamps will know what I'm talking about. If you turn around three times, you're lost. It's it's really hard to keep your bearings. But on this island, if you if you're if you're really quiet and you listen, you can kind of keep your sense of direction because you can actually hear the waves breaking on you know if the wind's right and so forth. But we had walked out a couple of times over the course of this hunt. And Nick would say something like, we got to go this way, right? And I said, no, you're turning around. We got to go the other way. So I had this in my mind this one afternoon, and we split up. I went was hunting one place, and Nick was in a, a stand that we had preset maybe, I don't know, 100 yards from where I was at, something like that. And we had discussed we would meet right at dark, right where the right at the, the little trail where I would walk out from my stand. So I came out of the woods and there's no Nick. So I just said, well, you know, maybe it's taken him a little longer to get down or whatever. So I sat down on the ground and I waited. 15 minutes goes by, still no Nick. And it is now pitch black dark. And I'm two and a half miles from camp. So I'm sitting there trying to figure out what's going wrong. Um, And the first thing I thought was, well, he came out and turned and went the wrong way on this trail that proceeds four miles in the wrong direction. So I pretty much take off double time. I figure that's probably what happened and I'll run him down, right? So after running a very long ways to the point where this this trail turns into, you really can't even see there's a trail there. You just have to kind of know the direction you're heading. And I haven't found Nick. So I turn around and I go back because now I'm thinking – what if he fell out of his stand or what if he, he, he for whatever reason, he, he got hung up, he couldn't get down, whatever that may be. So now I go back, I find a spot where I know he would have gone in and I'll, I start walking towards his tree and I've got my headlamp on and all of a sudden my headlamp sees this bright light shooting up into the sky and I thought, crap, he has fallen and he's laying on the ground and either his headlamp or his, his light is shining up into the sky. 
I get a little bit closer, and upon inspection, what I'm actually looking at is his safety tether that's on the tree that has reflective fabric in the in the rope. So when my light hit it, it looked like a beam of light and no Nick. So at this point, I've pretty much figured out that Nick came out early and just went back to camp. <laughs> so... <laughs> so <laughs> Now I'm mad, and you can imagine how quickly I'm trying to get back that two miles. And I must be honest, it was such a long walk, double-timing it in the dark, back to this camp, that by the time I got there, I'd pretty much just burn up all the <laughs> all the frustration I had. And, of course, Nick slash Will walks up and says, what took you so long? No, 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 no. I, I, That's no, basically what is, you said. It's better than that. You're not giving it enough. All right, so... For, for one, in my defense, I was miserable. I sent him a text. It had rained the whole time. I was soaked. I was miserable. We had no, no cell service. service. So I sent him. We had it in like one or two spots. Well, I had I had service, and I was like, oh, okay, so there's service out here. So I sent him a text, and I'm like, hey, I'm heading in. Um, I get back, and uh, we're sitting there, and we're eating. Uh, me and Brandon had started eating dinner, and we're eating Sloppy Joe's. So we're sitting there, and I'm on, like, my second Sloppy Joe or whatever it is. And Steve comes rolling up on the back of his pickup. And the whole time, Brandon and I are going, well, we're, we're, we're the, where's Steve? Where's Steve? Oh, we're going to eat, you know, whatever. You know, he's not back yet. We don't know what he's doing. So he's sitting on the back of this truck. Somebody had picked him up, and he, he drove by. He's sitting on the tailgate. And the first thing he does, he jumps off the back of the tailgate, and he goes, Nick, we've got to work out some kind of plan about our communication because this ain't working. <laughs> the, the, the truck picked me up literally 50 yards from the camp. It was, so. it was, and it was miserable. I mean, we've talked about it before, but it, that was comical just because I was just sitting there. I didn't think it was too damn comical. And, I, and I felt terrible after that, but I was sitting there like I had, I had like, he was sopping wet. Just irritable, just drenched, <laughs> just sore. I mean, at that point, it was like day two, so his feet were probably killing him. And then uh, I was just on my second by the fire, my second sloppy Joe, drinking coffee. <laughs> hey, where were you? <laughs> but oh, yeah. now, I, I fellas, I, I do have to go back now because probably with this in mind, uh, Steve, you actually asked me if I had ever changed the names in the story and. Uh, clearly, I didn't. Uh, I wasn't able to put this story to mind for a moment until you reminded me. But yes, I did change the names in this story, and even having the changed the names, um, <laughs> I was literally threatened with a lawsuit when this book, when uh, the book came out. Really, over that story from the fella uh, who was a lawyer, um, and and you've told me I can't use bad words, so I won't. But he was <laughs> who was a lawyer. <laughs> In uh, in uh, Georgia, Augusta, Georgia, and uh, felt it painted him in a bad light, you know. And um, it had been published. Uh, it actually the the threat was when it came out in uh, traditional bow hunter magazine. And uh, to their credit, T.J. Conrad's and uh, Don Thomas stood behind me and also said, "Well, hell, he he never did say what your name was." <laughs> so. You know, you're the one who's telling everybody who who you are by bringing this claim forward, and they made it go away. But uh, yeah, so yes, I, I have done that. 
I, and I'll be honest, when I was when I asked that question about changing the names to protect the innocent, that's exactly the story I yeah, was thinking yeah, about. No, so. I did. I absolutely did. And, and, and I actually um, went over that with uh, with TJ and Don at the time. And they said, yeah, this doesn't make this fellow look good. I think <laughs> I think you better look towards some pseudonyms. Uh, so I did. And I actually thought, you know, the 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 whole, uh, you know, he had he had he had started a fire and built a shelter. Uh, you know, it was kind of like I made him look like know. a woodsman. Yeah, <laughs> it, 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 and that's exactly what you said. I'm sitting there thinking, you know, how many people have I known that would have been in that situation that was said, "What were you worried about? I'm fine." Yeah, you know? I'm fine. <laughs> so, Everything's fine, sheriff, dog. <laughs> You know, <laughs> fighting about helicopters. My wife is on her way. Really? <laughs> so the so the one guy's just weeping because he's so distraught, oh, and God. now you've actually found this guy, and everybody else is ready to kill Will. Right? Absolutely, everybody. <laughs> you know, it, it was. Oh no! It was, um, and hardly it, now. You know, I mean, there's there's humor in everything, and you know, we take what what hurts us, and we find a way to to let people understand that we can turn that into something that that can be humorous later, a lot later, sometimes. Um, and certainly in that book, it's hardly the the most desperate um, or or near death I'd ever been, but uh, but uh, it it was funny. <laughs> Oh, it was hilarious. And like I said, it became more hilarious when yours truly was put in a very similar situation. <laughs> because I can actually tell you, and this is no joke, as I'm sitting there, you know, going, headed back now, because at this point I figured out Nick's fine. I still had not gotten a text. I don't think I got the text until we were actually back. I was back in camp with him. Um, but you know, that, that actual, that story actually flashed through my mind <laughs> I, and it wasn't a, I, at the time I couldn't remember the, I couldn't remember the name of the mm-hmm. chapter, but I'm mm-hmm. just like, you know, this is, this is, this is finding, finding Nick, but, uh, <laughs> pretty cool stuff. So Jay shifting gears a little bit, because we're just, we're just rolling through the time here and we're probably about two thirds of the way, uh, through the time I wanted to, you know, I wanted to try to keep you tied up here, but you know, I know since the book, you've you've gone through quite a few uh, quite a few changes. Um, you know, I guess tell us a little bit about how your life has changed since the book. Um, if you know what your maybe what your your current outdoor passions sure. might be today, and and you know if you're are you if you're still into into traditional archery and bow hunting as well. Well, you know, of course, I'm I'm into it, and um, I still uh, follow an awful lot of folks uh, who are traditional uh, hunters, and, and a lot of you folks who uh, see that I'll, on social media, I'll like your posts and everything, um, because it, it it I have been, as I said, somewhere before I was ten years old, I was shooting a longbow, and um, it was a huge uh, a part of my life, and I, I don't think. Actually, I put it in the past tense only because I do not have a longbow or a recurve anywhere near me right now because I live in the Bahamas. So <clears throat> the short story, if there could be one, um, is that uh, um, I, I got uh, sick. I got cancer. Um, I had surgery. I got better. I uh, had just gotten married before I was diagnosed um, to Karen. 
And um, when uh, I got better, um, Karen and I, and we, we had a, you know, a, a business uh, uh, doing medical things and, and consulting, just said, we've got to do something different. And uh, the short story on that is that we sold all the houses and the cars and bought a great big boat and uh, said, I, I, I think we could retire pretty soon and live on this boat and live out our years and let's just do it. And we did. Um, so we had already put all the kids, all seven kids and now eight grandkids and put them uh, through college. So we, uh, we uh, basically got up on the boat learned how to run it, and uh, took off. And um, this now is some six years later. Um, we lived on the boat uh, right up until about four weeks, five weeks ago, and uh, all through uh, Florida and uh, parts of the Bahamas and the Caribbean. And we found a little island that we, uh, we were running from hurricanes to, to uh, find some shelter, and we found this little island in the Bahamas. And if, you know, you go on the Facebook and Feel free to uh, find us and send a friend request, but it's just Jay Campbell and my my bald head and, and un, unpretty faces on there. And we um, <clears throat> we liked it an awful lot. We were writing for some magazines about adventure at the high seas and this and that, and uh, just said, you know, why would we leave here? This is a tiny little place. There's not many people um, we can, uh, we can fly out of here to the States or Nassau. And uh, so we bought some land uh, with some retirement money and built a house. And four weeks ago, after about almost a year and a half of building it, we moved in, and that's where we are. But here's the thing. The Bahamas will let you have a gun, but they don't want you to have a boat. And I have a lot of friends here. I've been here a long time in the customs and immigration. And they've just said, you know, it's not worth the trouble for you to go into this. It's just gonna, it's just gonna cause negative attention. So uh, we didn't. Now, what I will say is that we've never given up the chase, the hunt, adventure. We have three boats, uh, a couple of cars, a house on the beach, and um, we spearfish with um, spears. In the Bahamas, you can only use a spear that's hand pulled and hand held, just like a longbow or a reeker and a Hawaiian sling or a pole spear, and uh, we hunt underwater now, and that's what we do. And uh, take a lot of pictures, and we write articles and stories about what we're doing now, and, um, and we spend very little time in the United States. That's, that's the shortest I can tell that story. Uh, we don't we don't mind long stories, uh, <laughs> so uh, I am going. I'm gonna, uh, I'll dive into that just a little bit. Um, couple things from what you said there one the the photography is something that i i just have to say I've, some of the most beautiful photos i've seen came you know off of off of your page um over the last i don't know two or three years uh so i've, I've really enjoyed following that now you're you're doing you're also doing uh, are you are you still doing any fly fishing or is that something oh sure you, you, yeah we okay. um we've been fly fishing all over the world uh we we went fly fishing. don thomas i would say is our and, and Lori thomas are our mentors in fly fishing and took us um you know to um uh, places in South America and uh, Australia, and uh, we've fly fished uh, across the United States and enjoy it tremendously. Here, uh, fly fishing can be for a number of species, but we live on an island that is world class for bonefish. So, you know, some 
folks like Jack Nicholas, who who doesn't play a lot of golf anymore, but uh, he uh, comes here to fly fish every uh, six, eight weeks or so on his 120-foot uh, Westport yacht with three little fly fishing boats on top. And uh, and we have uh, uh, boats and get out and do some of that and tremendously enjoy it. I, I believe that fly fishing and traditional bow hunting are intertwined, absolutely the same kind of spirit of joy and and uh, basic elements of adventure, um, you know, uh, link uh, fly fishing and traditional archery. And I agree a hundred percent. And in fact, we're we're I'm trying to branch out even a little bit more uh, on the show um, this coming this coming late winter into spring and summer. We're you know we're going to be touching on you know even more topics outside of you know just traditional bow hunting. But that was one of the first things that I told Nick when we started doing this is, I, you know, I wanted to have some guests on talking about fly fishing. And subsequently, Nick fell hell over heels in love with fly fishing. So I know he would agree with you as well that it's almost like they're, they're, they're so much alike in so many ways. But to me, I think it comes down to the appreciation of the rewards when when things do go your way because there's just – so much time in between the successes that you it's all part of the experience right but there's there's a lot more there's a lot more time to be intimate with nature <laughs> while you're you're waiting for the successes when they do come around is uh, so i definitely think they're linked and I, I i do understand that folks will say that they don't necessarily believe this but i honestly i don't give a rip if i take a fish and back in the day i Really, except for getting something to eat, food, pigs, you know, this and that, I didn't really give a rip either. What I liked was doing it. I liked getting out. I liked being alone. I liked the wilderness on northern Alaska. Dang, that was just some mean bush, as they said in Avatar. Um, <laughs> and I, 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 I love that. And here... Um, you know, the, the idea that you can find a place where you can wade in clear glass, clear water with white sand under your feet at calf deep or knee deep for miles and miles and miles and just look out for those mangrove roots and, and flip a little fly that you got or somebody made you or you made, you know, in there and, and chase something around. And then more often than not here, once you get it, have a shark take it from you, you know, <laughs> That's just the most wonderful thing in the world. And and, uh, and and I felt that way a lot in all the places. I mean, once Karen and I started to travel and uh, and go to these, you know, the Melville Island, the Tiwi Islands, uh, Northern Australia, um, you know, uh, Hawaii, uh, where I know a lot of folks have been. Um, and in northern Alaska and places in Colorado and New Mexico and all, it was the, it was the wilderness. It was the nature. It was the absence of human beings and the absence of avarice and corrosion and corruption that I, I have to tell you, fellas, is a big reason that we decided to leave the United States and just go somewhere we'd be our, by ourselves. And and that that mm. does make perfect sense. And I know at least I think I remember that, you know, a lot of a lot of these adventures came on the heels of um 
the the cancer. They and did. Then, you know, congratulations yep. to you on on surviving that. Um, but I will also say, uh, Nick and I we're we're kind of chatting back and forth here a little bit just so we stay on on point. But one of the didn't even think of it till you mentioned the you know your your bout with cancer. But one of the absolute funniest stories you've ever told that I've ever read, and in fact. And it's really as a as a guy, it's part of it's just painful. But your story about your 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 battle with um, uh, <laughs> oh no, you're going to run afoul of your of your. Say, uh, there goes the radio. Yeah, I've, I've, I've got to be careful to keep this clean, but you know exactly where I'm going. The the um, the, the 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 need for intimacy with your with Karen after you your your you left the hospital and where that. That you've got to just publish that again somewhere on well, Facebook that, so people can keep read it. Keep in mind that story is not in the book, and no, it's not. And uh, I have <laughs> in fact, uh, put it on Facebook a couple of times, and and I I think it's hilarious now, uh, thirteen years later. Oh, I'm um, sure it wasn't hilarious at the time. No, at the time, it was it was quite painful, and uh, and uh, you know it, I have had. Literally hundreds of people who have read that, who who men, uh, who have gotten uh, a hold of me and written and said, "Oh my God, I just had to clench my legs together and said, ow, that must have hurt.'" Um, and I I don't know that we could go any further down that road. You know, um, you'd have to. <laughs> and and you know, I I tried. I, I sent that to a couple of uh, na- international magazines and things and saying this is. This is kind of funny, isn't it? And they went, no. <laughs> no, no it's- oh, it was, I, I agree with who, uh, you know, the, the guys that say they sat there and read that when they were clenching their legs oh, together, yeah. I get it. But at the same time, I was laughing so hard I was crying. Oh, I yeah. mean, it- <laughs> it's, it's desperate. When I was not, I'm, I'm an old man now. That was some time ago, you know, and I had just gotten married. And man, when you're just trying to figure out if all your aspirations for your recent <laughs> marriage are going to come around and you find out that you know wow there might be a procedure but it's kind of like going to hell <laughs> where, where do we even go from here i don't even know where we go i don't yet. know sorry no, that's, i'm sorry no it's that's it. completely my fault I, i'm the one that opened that door but uh, yeah everything else I, just seems well, small well, in comparison no pun intended <laughs> I was getting ready, I was getting ready to say. Yeah, well, let's, let's talk about hunting rabbits or something. So, so here, here's the thing, Jay. After this thing airs, you're going to have to repost that because if anybody that is listening to this has not heard this story or read this story, you, you they've got to read well, it. Well, they'll, it, it, they'll have to ask. You know, like I said, feel free to try to find me on on social media, and and I, I know you would intend to get around to this, but I do want people to know that you really just can't buy the book anymore because it's out of print. And uh, there is, I think, an electronic copy available somewhere on Amazon. But uh, we just, we're just so in a whole different direction now that. Uh, well, I tell you what, you did tell me that when we talked, when we spoke the other night and I meant to, but I'm actually going to go, uh, before this airs, I will see if I can find the link to the the ebook on Amazon, mm-hmm. and I'll include that in the show notes just so people can find it because 
anybody that hasn't read this book, I mean, there and I and I'm I'm again, I'm not trying to overinflate your ego, Jay. There's <laughs> That's pretty there's, hard to do. <laughs> there, <laughs> there are. I mean, I I I really do put your book up with you know it's it's definitely within the top five books, and I'm putting it up with you know the likes of Jay Massey. I've read all of his books. Um, you know, Den of the Old Bow Hunter. I love that book, and again, yours is right up there with him. Uh, you know, uh, Bows on the Little Delta, probably my all-time favorite, and this one would is is always right beside it. I mean, it's just it, the book is that good, and it's it's and I think part of it's because it relates so much to you know the stories that a lot of us have lived at some point in our life somebody anybody that's in traditional archery or bow hunting i think is going to find a story in this book that they can relate to you know here's a story for you i I don't know how this comes out as a positive and negative funny or sad it's sad to me um you know jay massey and i did a few things and, and and um we, we spent some time together until he, he got sick. And he called me and told me one night, real late, that uh, he had cancer and, uh, and it didn't look good. And he sent me, he sent me a, a, a novel that he had written and still needed to be edited. And it was about three quarters done. And he told Martha, his wife, um, and, you know, his, his daughter, I believe, was Sophie who ought to be a young woman now. Um, and he sent me a big box right around that time um, with uh, the printed out uh, section of this novel, and he asked me if I could could uh, work on that and could I help uh, finish it uh, for him because he wouldn't be here to do it. And and I, I was dumbstruck. Uh, I was... I was literally crushed and elated at the same time and so sad. And the, the truth of that, and, and it just hurts me to say, is that in uh, one of those events we all, some of us have, um, in, in uh, separating from uh, one relationship and moving to another, uh, bad things happened and, and that paperwork was all, uh, was all destroyed. And, uh, and I am so sad and, and, and in some ways ashamed about that because it was something I really felt I owed to him. Um, but uh, that was one thing that came out of all of that, all of that business. He was a true hero of mine. I don't think I've told, I, I don't think I've told anybody that. <laughs> well, and I, I, I do appreciate you sharing it with us. He, I think he was a, he was a hero to a, a lot of people. Absolutely, um, and not you know not just traditional bow hunters. I've actually ran across people that have have read and knew his works that have never shot a traditional bow in their life, which and again speaks volumes. I think just because it's 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 one of those things that you know we're we're kind of a close knit community, and you're either up until a few years ago, I think it was you know you were either in or you were out. I think those lines have become a bit more muddled in the last ten years or so, but. It still speaks volumes for for Jay. Yeah, it really does. Hell of a man. So, understanding um, the situation you're in, uh, I shouldn't say the situation you're in, the, the 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 life you've chosen at this point, Jay. You know, do you see um, do you see yourself getting back in or having the desire to actually find a way to to pick up a bow and 
and and get back into bow hunting at some point in the future or is that a, a chapter of your life that's behind you and you're 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 content with that no it's it's not closed and and you know one of the things and and, and karen who came late in life to um traditional archery and and as you fellows know if you read because you did read the book um actually took a water buffalo on the ground with her longbow um uh within about a year a year of uh of of beginning uh the traditional archery quest for her but she was a very powerful uh, martial artist and all that um and karen absolutely said i i will not give up my bows you know um we can put them in storage somewhere but i'm not giving them up and my Dean Torges bows, as I already said, I have not given up. And I, I believe I have one uh, custom Black Widow bow that I keep and a, and a few others. But they're in storage with one of my boys and, uh, and along with the arrows and all that. I mean, we were, we were back there building, uh, you know, uh, 1,020 grain uh, arrows when such a thing wasn't being sold anywhere, uh, laminating them in a garage in New Mexico so we could go on a buffalo hunt. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's been a, a huge part of my life. I would, I would love to, um, find a, a way to do it. Um, but our, it's just that at this moment, our direction is so much in settling this life on this island away from the United States. But I, I, I don't see it being, uh, something that we will not do again, the right time, the right opportunity. And, you know, as I've said before, uh, folks like uh, um, uh, Don and Lori Thomas and, and T.J. Conrad's and the Wenzels are still uh, uh, around. Folks we've hunted with all over the all over the, the country, some all over the world. Um, I would I would expect we won't be any good at it, but <laughs> I would expect um, it would be a wonderful thing just to get out and walk the woods with bow in hand again and stump shoot a little bit and you know. Uh, uh, tell stories. Speaking of telling stories, Jay, are you are you writing fly fishing stories right now? I know at one point somebody had told I, me that you were writing a fly fishing book. Um, we've done some fly fishing stuff. What we're doing right now is uh, we're putting together a book called Don't Die at Your Desk, which is kind of an instructional about um, thoughts about how we determined that we were going to leave um, the workforce early and do something different and something we truly loved. And it, it became, uh, living on a boat and that became living on an island. And, um, it's, it's an encouragement, I think, for folks who are, who are thinking that's what they might like to do, that you can do it. And it doesn't cost as much as you think to find your dream. I know you've been posting about what you were just talking about, and I don't, I'm not sure at at some point because I remember thinking, man, I really want I really want Jay to write a second book. I'm really really waiting for it. And then uh, I think it might have been Tom. Steve said, "Oh yeah, he's writing a book about bone fishing. I think we're gonna I think we're gonna see that pretty soon." And at the time, I had no interest in fly fishing, and I was like, "Well, that's too bad." Yeah, <laughs> you know, because I wanted to read. And now I'm like begging for for Jay Campbell fly fishing content. <laughs> no, and, and I know that that Steve had had said Nick wants to ask you if you're going to finish Archer's Paradox, and um, you know I I expect I I might, but it's been on a back burner for so very long, and you know it um, it is uh, 
the last or one of the last chapters in um, what's the novel, basically, part of a, uh, of a novel uh, that ends um, uh, Longbow, uh, you know, A Hunting Life. And, um, you know, I, I, it is that kind of thing where you get so, I have been so consumed um, with um, what it's taken for us to leave the States and move everything um, to another country and to build a home and to live in this very, very different place and different way in, in a place where we are not even uh, citizens, but that I love so very much. Um, and so I, I think that is on the list for uh, uh, coming back up with Archer's Paradox. Uh, Blackwater was the, the story that started all of Archer's Paradox. And um, you know, I, I do want to do it. I do want to finish. I know I'll rewrite every word that I wrote already at this point. Um, but uh, the next one, I think, is really this issue of I meet so many people now who say I'm, I'm stuck. I'm trapped. I, I, I can't leave. I, I don't uh, know how to find that direction that, that really tells my heart. And um, we felt that in many ways we, we learned uh, how to identify that level of risk that you can accept and that level of risk that's too much and how to make it into something that can be a new way to live. And for us, that was in two directions. One was uh, just leaving and living on a boat because that can be either the, the least expensive or the most expensive thing you can do in your life, uh, living on a boat. And then um, for us, um, changing from living on a boat to uh, living on the water here, here in the Bahamas, which um, you know is in fact doable, but uh, it's so foreign to the way we think. So, so yeah, we're all writing is on the table, and and I hope to get back to all of it now that I have my my house on the beach and my writing room, and my little table. I hope we do it. Are you still uh, trying to get just stories here or there published in uh, in some of the publications? You know, no, um, not right now. Uh, we we I write just on Facebook. And occasionally I'll write a long essay about every month or so. I write an essay, and I'm, I'm just very surprised at the at the uh, reactions uh, uh, to that in a positive way. But um, uh, we had a column in Passage Maker magazine, which is a, a, a high-end boating adventure sort of uh, a magazine for about two and a half years, and we had a lot of fun with that. And uh, since then. We've just been so incredibly busy that I, I have to say the only writing that, that we do now are, uh, and photography is uh, we put it on Facebook. We don't do anything else. We don't try to make money from any of it. All we do is just say, here, here's some pictures, here's some thoughts, and put it out there. Well, and I love that. And I, I'm just a big fan of, of just being genuine and transparency. And it's like you've let everybody all these people into your lives with words and photos and it's like we're living like we're watching your adventure it's it's kind of <laughs> i hear it's, that it's kind of creepy too but it's cool like creepy on my part because i'm like i know what the jay and karen are doing today i know <laughs> you know but it, it is it's almost like that show like ed tv you know it, we're, no we, we we hear that a lot um, and, and folks say, you know, this is, this is what I want to do. And our response is often, well, you can't. I'm not saying you should. 
Um, but but you know uh, you know send me a message or or talk to me on email or whatever, and we'll go over um, what this is like because it's um, it's not as complicated or difficult as you think, but it requires a certain amount. Of, of a whole different way of looking at the world that we were driven to. And, and I think this is important. And, and Steve, you said this. We were driven to this by, by feeling that I was going to die from my cancer. And when I got better, that was a gift. Cancer was a gift in a way that, that set us free from a sense that we couldn't do certain things to realize our dreams. And... You know, that, that was so important that I, we like to talk about it a lot. We're, we don't have anything to sell, um, but that's what we put out on our, on just on our Facebook uh, stuff. And uh, we don't have anywhere else for people to go with that except to say, you know, if that's what you want to do, it can be done. Well, and Jay, I think, you know, like Nick, a lot of us live vicariously through you you and Karen. Um, and what you say, you know, I, I apply that to a lot of things. Uh, I had a, uh, a dream for 34 years to hunt antelope and I always found reasons why I couldn't do it and kept putting it off until I sat and listened to a, a, a gentleman go through a presentation about various dream hunts that he had been on. And the, the message was very simple. If you've got a dream that you want to, to pursue, the only way it's going to happen is if you, make a commitment, put a, put a, put a target on the calendar and say, I'm going to do it by then. And, you know, if you, if, and, and same thing, if you, if you've got a goal to do something like that, the only thing that's stopping you from doing it in most cases is you. You know, and I, I, I just so agree. Um, part of the stories, uh, a number of the stories in the book is this whole issue of when I was sick. Um, and, and he is a, a great hero of mine, Don Thomas, Dr. Don Thomas, uh, I'm in the hospital and I, I've had surgery and nothing's clear and, you know, uh, my heart stopped at one point and, you know, and the phone rings and it's Don Thomas and, and Karen hands me the phone and I, I can kind of hear him and he says, here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to, a year from now, we're going to hunt buffalo in Australia, you and me and Karen. And I started to talk a little bit, and he said, I know, I know, I already said Karen can't come hunt buffalo because chicks don't hunt buffalo. But he <laughs> said, I also know you won't go without her. So if you tell me she's ready to hunt buffalo, then I will guide her if the guides won't. You know, boom. And, and right there was someone setting out the next year of my life and giving me a direction and a goal to keep me alive. And he said, my patients who are sick, who don't have a goal, die. You have a goal. I am challenging you. Come and hunt buffalo, you and Karen. And I spent the next year, every single hour, every day, figuring out how to get me, because I, could, I couldn't even walk, and Karen, who had never really shot a bow, ready to hunt, 2,400 pound big game in Australia with longbows. And she took a water buffalo on the ground with one arrow with a longbow, and so did I. Um, and it, it was this absolute uh, focus 
that uh, gave us life, energy, power over that whole period of time, and quite honestly, still today. And and Jay, I was going to ask you this earlier, and we we kept getting you know on different tangents, but I seem to remember, and I may be remembering this inaccurately, but wasn't Karen the first woman? that anybody knew of that had actually taken a water buffalo with a longbow? Yeah, we published that because um, as we went through it and traditional bow hunter magazine, because of course they have more contacts than I did, uh, and Don and TJ looked into it and felt that 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 had just not been done, that a water buffalo with a longbow had not been done by by a woman before. And you keep in mind, Karen was shooting a 70-pound at her draw length longbow with a 1,020 grain arrow and um, you know not a whole and there are some friends of mine like Joella Bates and all these wonderful great friends who who have had tremendous success and and not taking away anything from folks who have taken Cape Buffalo whole nother story but at the time at least and perhaps even until today water buffalo with with a longbow had not been done um, according to all the work that we could do, so we we they did publish that. Yeah, yeah, and I, I and I thought I remembered that. And uh, so another just real quick tangent. Uh, Tom Jurgensen, who uh, also co-hosts from time to time when when Nick's not available or based on the guest or so forth, um, he's actually headed to Australia uh, this year uh, in pursuit of of buffalo. So. Uh, I, I can't wait to see how that goes for him. Oh, it's a it's a tremendous place. Where we went is, I think, not available anymore. We were in the Tiwi Islands on Melville Island, a tiny little place with almost no people, but a lot of saltwater crocodiles and brown snakes um, and water buffalo. Um, a lot of folks can get out to the west of Australia, the east of Australia, and um, and find water buffalo. This was a little bit different. Uh, very tropical and very wet, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, not long after we were there, that was closed down. I believe may have opened up again, but I don't believe so. And and I don't know if I've told you this or not, Jay, but our my my guest that I recorded with last week, uh, Jimmy Behag, is is oh, I know Jimmy. in Australia. I know yeah, well, Jimmy. Jimmy Jimmy's the Jimmy was the catalyst. You you know you've kind of been on on our list, and again, just trying to trying to get these things scheduled out and coordinating. You always have somebody on the list, and then something will come up, and you you end up having to shuffle the the schedule around. And and Jimmy brought up your name, and I just said that's it. I'm I'm reaching out to him tonight <laughs> and going ahead and getting getting Jay scheduled to get him on here, and it just kind of it just kind of fell in place, but. Uh, but yeah, Jimmy was Jimmy was definitely talking about you, and that that episode will 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 air prior to oh, great. tonight. I, so. I love Jimmy. I love watching his stuff. He is he is an absolute outdoorsman, Fan, and a fantastic guy to to talk to. Uh, really is. Well, Jay, I tell you what, I think we've we've managed to keep you away from Karen for long enough. I don't want her. I don't want her coming to get us and and you know maybe one of these days i'm i may want to reach out to karen and get her to come on here and do this too so sure. i don't want to i don't want to make her mad <laughs> no one does 
especially me. <laughs> it sounds like it. And that whole seventy pound longbow thing is a, a whole nother discussion. We may we may talk for a few more minutes after after we stop recording. Sure. But I do I do think it's 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 time we we let you get back to uh, your wife and when we wrap this thing up. I will say before we before we end, I did pull up uh, while Nick was talking. Uh, people can definitely still get your book in Kindle format uh, from Amazon. I will be sure to put a link to that in the show notes. And Jay, you will be interested to know there are actually still copies out there available where people can buy used uh, paperback copies. Cool. And there's even a few that list it as new if people want to spend. Are you sitting down, Jay? Yeah. If they want to spend $108, they can still buy a new paperback wow. copy. Collector's uh, so, item, man. <laughs> but we'll... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I, but, truth be told, we thought um, they were all gone. And when we cleaned out our storage unit about two months ago in Fort Lauderdale, we find I, I haven't even opened the boxes, two boxes of them. So that's probably, I don't know, somewhere around 50 or 70 copies. And, and the Black Widow folks had recently gotten a hold of us entirely separate of that and just said, we want some more books. And uh, if we can, we'll try to figure out how to get them some from here. But uh, that's probably all there'll ever be except for the few that we hold back here. Yeah. So if, if anybody listening is interested, while they last, you can ping Jay. If he's got a copy, you could buy direct from him. But Yeah, are, you'd have uh, to come to the Bahamas to get it. Shipping from here is a pretty difficult experience. So, so I, <laughs> oh, okay. After well, this podcast drops, it'll it, not so if you, $250 a copy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not, not from me, fellas. And if you want a book, it'll just be the regular prices. Oh, man. Well, Jay, thank you so much sure. for taking the time to be here on the show. We've really yeah. had a good time. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And, Jay, it. I just want to say thank you personally for the help you gave me early on in, for writing Longbow. And I can tell you that Life in Longbows would never have been written had it not been for you and your book. And I'm honored that when you type in Longbow on Amazon, mine shows up right next to yours. It's just yeah, probably first. I think it is, but that, I think it's that's just wonderful. a technicality. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you, yep. fellas. Thank you, right. and to all of our listeners, thank you for for joining us as well. And keep in mind, we do have a giveaway coming up real soon, so uh, that's going to be based on ratings and reviews left in iTunes. So if you haven't already done so, get out there and leave us a rating and review. If you've already left us one in the past, we don't mind getting another one from you as well. And that giveaway for the Scott Spray Custom Fly Rod and one of his special license plates will be coming up around the end of March. So get entered, everyone, and until next time, take care.